They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My guest today is Olena Girenko, a very proud Ukrainian soul, a very dedicated and happy, but also often tired mama of Sofia and Lev. Olena further describes herself as a caring daughter, not the worst friend, and a loving but often whining wife to an amazing Dutchman called Leon. Before I introduce Olena, And before we start talking to each other, I want to share something with you about salt, which I find very important to emphasize during today's episode. Those of you who have been following salt for a while know that as an intersectional feminist podcast, we focus on centering personal stories, oral histories, and testimonies by positioning Soul's guests as describers of their stories, speakers of themselves, as readers and analysts of their situation. And while we are doing all this, we do not record and locate those stories just for the sake of those stories. We do not want to expose our guests, exhaust them, and reduce them solely to their personal stories. At Salt, we have no interest in selling stories for sensational purposes, in the perpetuation of stereotypes and invasion of personal lives. Through telling our stories here on Salt, we react to the injustices of the world. We claim our testimonials as part of feminist knowledge production. Our stories are a form of resistance aiming at forging solidarity among us, positioning us as agents. We document our stories against predominant discourses, fascist re regimes, one-sided knowledge production, colonialism, oppression, in moments of history where narratives are either not known, manipulated, or erased. We remember our stories to resist, to disturb people's comfort zones, to document our stories, to withstand being told we are too much. And in doing so, we collaborate with each other, aiming at achieving social justice. Today, we center Olena Girenko's story, and we will accompany her story through poems. In this episode, we will speak about Olena's life in Ukraine, about her moving to the Netherlands, becoming a mother, and about the war in Ukraine. It is an episode full of love, anger, compassion, and deep honesty. And I'm very grateful to Olena for her trust in sharing a part of her story with us on SALT. I also would like to mention before introducing Olena that this episode contains um, conversations of a highly sensitive nature, including violence, war, rape, and postnatal depression. Welcome, Olena. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. I'm very happy that you're here with us today. Hi, Stella. I'm also very happy to be invited. Thank you for the honor. Yes. So today you will introduce a little bit the beginning of our conversation. So the floor is yours. Thank you. As I said, I'm a very proud Ukrainian and um, I want to believe a very kind Uh, person, human, first of all. So I would like to start with uh, my favorite uh, poem of a Ukrainian writer, uh, Lina Kustenko. Please Google. Uh, she's uh, yet alive. Kryla, the wings. Ay pravda, krilatem gruntu ne treba, zemli ne maja, to bude nebo. Ne maja polja, to bude volja. Ne maja pare, to buduć hmare. Tomu, napevno, pravda ptašina. A jak же людина? А що ж людина? Живе на землі, 
сама не літає, а крила має, а крила має. Вони ті крила не з пуху пір'я, а з правди, чесноти й довір'я. У кого з вірності у коханні, у кого з вічного поривання, у кого з щирості до роботи, у кого з щедрості до турботи, у кого з пісні або з надії, або з поезії, або з мрії. Людина нібито не літає, а крила має, а крила має. The wings. Who has the wings doesn't need the ground. When land is missed, he'll fly around. Without fields, he loves the will. Without wife, still loves the life. We live on earth, we cannot fly, but from the birth we touch the sky. The humans fly when they just smile. Men's wings are not from feather. The soul and thought inside the leather. They take us high when we are inspired. When men in love, he flies like dove. With these emotions, we cross the oceans. The dreams rise wings. Good friend, indeed, takes off the land from feet. Who said we never fly if feelings take so high? Thank you. You read it so emotional. Um, that tells yes. a lot about me. I believe we all have uh, our own wings and uh, we can make them from kindness, from love, from passion, uh, from whatever you choose, but it's always a, a responsible choice. So many choices we do every day. A little bit about me. I uh, was born in a country that doesn't exist anymore, Soviet Union, even though I lived there just first four years, but yet went to school. My mom has chosen Russian school. It was the only Russian school in the whole neighborhood, but yet she believed it would help me in my future career and growth, etc., because she was not able to enter the university because of low level of Russian language. She comes from the western part of Ukraine as well as my father. Uh, then after school, I uh, even during school, I was a good student, studied everything, but... Ukraine is an amazing country, a great people, but we do have maybe now less. But when I, when I was at school, it was, uh, I always say, in a good way, succeed. I never saw it or I took it positively. But now when I look back, I was best in class for math. But I was told, mm, you know, girls study humanitarians, even though there are really thousands and hundreds of thousands technical, amazing, smart women, Ukrainian I maybe was more under influence of adults, you know, teachers. So I have chosen literature and I went to national universities, uh, best one of the best universities in Ukraine. I have chosen language and literature, Russian language and literature, surprising because I was studying in Russian school. And then after job, I also studied German, by the way, my teacher, German language. And then, uh, yeah, I was very active uh, in 2004. I was 17. was just the first year of university. And I went, there was this uh, orange, we call it Pomaranchiva uh, revolution, orange revolution. That's the first time when I realized, okay, I can make a difference or I can do something. And then no one from my group went for this protest because it was more, I, even though there was like Eastern Ukraine, Western Ukraine, but it was more about uh, we, which direction do we move, West or East? And then I went to that protest and somehow met different people with different opinions and started to be active, I guess. I got interested. I started to hang out or talk to a rather more active people who care actually what happens. And then uh, those people, actually my best friend who called me my best friend from university on his wedding list, <laughs> he got married and when he invited me He showed me, uh, shared with me the list of invites. There were 20 invites. Anton, greetings to you. And <laughs> there was Olena, friend from university. I, said, I, was, I thought I'm your best friend, friend from university. And he invited me. He shared that there is this uh, organization, Rotary, Rotaract. Uh, it is a part of charity organization. It's American uh, for networking. And they had uh, organization for use. So you could uh, support some Uh, projects or be involved, even initiate uh, what we did. Unfortunately, in Ukraine, we do have orphan houses and we often went to the orphan houses. We invited the kids for the weekend to stay in the family to show them how it can be. We equipped uh, a medical uh, center 
we also uh, ran a meeting in Kiev in 2012. There was a Euro 2012 the football tournament. And then uh, because the infrastructure was improved, so we decided to uh, profit from it and uh, participated or not participated, uh, organized Rotaract European meeting. The Rotaract met three times a year. It still meets three times a year in a different European countries. And I went to many countries before and we organized it in Kyiv. Around 300 people came th- back then. For five days, we fundraised uh, money and equipped the football field for uh, kids on a wheelchair. A lot of fun, a lot of parties, a lot of uh, conferences and workshops. I met back then already many foreigners. And uh, yeah, there was also a group of Dutch people. And then because I worked for a German company, I often went for work to Germany and never been to the Netherlands. And I texted one of my friends, hey, I'm coming for the uh, business trip to Germany. Can I stay by you? I said, yes, of course. And that's when I came to the Netherlands. And then, uh, yeah, there was one uh, guy uh, who touched, who who uh, b- brought me emotions <laughs> so that I could feel my wings. <laughs> and then after that, there was a lot. I was traveling a lot uh, back then, like seriously. Uh, I think there is no European country where I not yet have been. Mm-hmm. And then we went for a birthday of one of our friends to Paris and he came there too. And after that, he came to Ukraine like a few months later. And since then, my whole Ukrainian uh, life has changed. (laughs) Yes. But you didn't want to, I mean, now you're in the Netherlands, you, we we know that, but you didn't want to leave. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You were happy. There. I was I was very happy. I was working um, for German company. I was earning good money. You know, it's like life in Ukraine is twenty times cheaper than in any Western European country. I was having good money. If I would decide today, oh, you know what? I was texting with some Rotaractor in I don't know Istanbul, and I would say, oh, you know what? Let's meet in Istanbul a weekend, and I would fly. Honestly, it's insane for someone 22, 23 years old back then to pay tickets was half of my salary, and I would still go. <laughs> Uh, I went to all, I only couldn't yet, I believe yet is the main word here, uh, visit Donetsk, but I have been in Luhansk, in Krim, in Kherson, you know, it's like all the cities in every city. Uh, there is a small Rotaract club and we were visiting one another. There was a giant network. There is really this talking to people, this flying together on your wings. That's what makes I believe society, country, nation, doesn't matter. Your tribe, uh, I never wanted to move out. I was happy. I felt like I am needed there, uh, especially in 2014 when the revolution, we call it revolution of dignity, started. I lived four months on the streets. Um, And it is nothing to do with EU or America, where I heard so many times to say, you were paid. I remember myself crying on the main square of my street, collecting uh, stones, which were probably paid by my tax, to be thrown in a riot police, whose salaries are probably also paid from my, from my tax, to protect the guy who is also paid from my tax. Because he decided he can just beat people on the streets for whatever opinion they have. And that those were students, and that's, that was the reason um, there was no aim to kick out the president or throw him down. We wanted justice for those who, who have beaten children for their silent protest on the streets. That's it. It just grew. Because there is no ju- there is no justice. At least at that time, there was no. So after this uh, three months, um, and I remember we were already dating back then with uh, Leon, my future husband. And I remember I came to the Netherlands because we were flying to one another for a year since 2012. And I already got the documents. We uh, uh, first looked for a job for him in Ukraine. And uh, his education is very specific on building um whatever airports and uh, infrastructure below sea level, uh, very handy. 
<laughs> so, so it was difficult to find a job for him uh, in Ukraine. But yeah, then uh, war started. And obviously, you know, friends, those guys with whom I was protesting, they uh, almost all uh, moved uh, to the east. And leaving or not being involved uh, felt like uh, cheating on them. It, it, it still feels like it now being here having my tea my meal my good life here feels like i have it all because they sacrifice their life for me you know no one is born for for war we all are born as in this poem to fly um no yeah so i back then i got the residence permit for the netherlands but it didn't go and I stayed in Ukraine for another one and a half years. And at some point, it, again, back then, it felt like like it felt a year ago. It cannot last longer than a day, maybe two. We are living in 21st century. Um, I mean, what war are we talking about? Uh, like, seriously, is it not enough of land for the biggest country in the world? It's like, wh- what's the problem? Uh, when will they stop? But they didn't. Um, and then after one and a half year, it was uh, clear that this will be for longer. And everyone had to move on with own life. And as I said in the beginning, it is a daily choice. And I have chosen not to serve my country there, uh, but to live my life as a Ukrainian and spread and spread the message, who are Ukrainians? Uh, that we exist, uh, what are our values. It is not about the land. We are very sensitive to justice, which for centuries we didn't have. Maybe that's why we are so, so uh, dedicated to this fight, physical, moral, emotional. Uh, We all are on this fight on uh, different levels. And then you moved to the Netherlands in... Yes, and then uh, so we, were, we were flying. It was 2015. I still didn't intend to move. And then Leon was like, yeah, you know, we have to move on. It's almost three years now. And I was on holidays here, um, took a week off. And then uh, there was a job role Ukrainian speaker I needed. So I went for this interview, um, went well. It was uh, customer support. And they said, you know what? It was Thursday. I remember as now. And they said, you know what? You can start Monday. I was like, mm, you know what? I'm actually here on holidays. I have my job and life in Ukraine. Is it okay if I start Monday in four weeks from now? And they're like, no, this Monday or we take next following candidate. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's, that's a tough uh, decision. So I changed my flight ticket, went home. I had Friday. I quit my job. Everyone kind of already knew that I will be moving. It was three years of here and there. I uh, quit my job, packed my life in 23 kilos. Back then, airlines allowed 23 kilos, not like 20 now. And it was included in the price. Exactly. That's what I wanted to add. <laughs> exactly. Please don't cut this out. This no. is important information and message <laughs> to the airlines. Who will listen to our podcast for sure. <laughs> exactly. Please, I will share. Um, no, yeah, and then I uh, moved here. I landed uh, 19, yeah, 19 April. I landed. Leon picked me up, and he proposed um, the same evening. I was, you know, I was like oh. I, I think I even didn't wash my hair or something. I was busy, you know. Saturday we had the whole, I had the whole day meetings with my friends. There was also this made in Ukraine market, so I went on this market, bought all possible souvenirs with all possible Ukrainian, whatever traditional stuff. And then I came in the Netherlands uh, and he proposed on the Rembrandt Square because the um, headquarters of Booking.com was also there and it was April and Magnolia was in blossom, was an amazing moment. And next day was 7 p.m. when I landed. And next day, Monday, 20 April, I started working at Booking.com in a call center. Perhaps we are all immigrants trading one home for another. First, we leave the womb for air then the suburbs for the filthy city in search of a better life. Some of us just happen to leave entire countries by Rupi Kaur. And now we will speak about Olena's coming to the Netherlands, which you already started a little bit. So just continue. 
Monday, 20 April 2015, you started your job at Booking.com in Ukrainian customer support. Yeah. And it was closed two weeks later. So they hired me. Yes. Two weeks later, they closed the line because of multiple reasons. And obvious decision was to offer me support Russian line, which I explained I'm no value for the Russian customers. <laughs> um, then they put me on an English line. I worked with a German language in Ukraine. So English was not my first and not in a great shape. And then English line, it's, uh, you can imagine it's Australian, Scottish, Indian, uh, American, all mixed. All the different all. accents. Exactly. And you don't see, you know, like at least you could read from the lips sometimes or make a funny joke, but yeah, not. I think the first call at 7 a.m. I got a, he had a very nice voice and this a man from Scotland. I understood nothing. Like literally no single word. He was talking maybe one and a half minutes. And I was like, oh, sir, you know, due to your strong na uh, native accent, can I transfer? And he directly started to swear. I pay enough, these fucking immigrants. <laughs> and at uh, 7 a.m., I'm again in tears. And I had ha tough time to move to the Netherlands. I still have tough time. You know, the poem and uh, the end was leave entire countries. Hmm. I live here now eight years. I swear, I live with a background that it's temporary. I'm coming mm -hmm. back. I'm here. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just a period of my life, you know. It's mm -hmm. eight years now, right? It's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, people call me dinosaur nowadays, you know. I'm not immigrant anymore. I have Dutch passport. I'm well integrated. I speak the language. I have Dutch friends. I have this, you know. And yet, I see myself as a immigrant, temporary. I kind of warm myself somewhere inside that this is just temporary thing. I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. But in Ukraine, eight years is a lot. Uh, world is developing fast, but Ukraine is rapidly running. I have not been now in Ukraine for since May 2021. It feels like I lost the content a little bit. You know, there are so many changes, and people are also, you know, when I obviously I follow Ukrainian news like 300 million times more than Dutch. But yeah, people also would say, yeah, what do you know? You don't live here. I know. But yeah, I had a tough time first half year uh, while living here. I gained eight first eight kilos. So I gained almost 30 kilo, kilos since I moved here. Gained first eight kilos uh, because I was super sad. I was eating Dutch krentabola. It's a bread with uh, raisins, like seriously, every evening. It, and I don't know, it, everything went, was well, but I'm such a talker, you know. I made my way in life by talking to people, by my network, by my jokes, which are only funny. At least they used to be. If you joke in Ukrainian, using spicing it up a little bit with Russian, uh, not even Russian, but the surzik, uh, showing where I come from. You know, it's all my DNA. I feel this surzik, this mix mm. of two languages as a scars. Uh, I'm philologist, right? I study languages. It's like a scars on a nation. People cannot speak one language proper they speak the mix because they have been in this boiling up in these cultures and then also we have this turkish words in it and you know it's it's so interesting content and then i moved here and uh when leon's friends or family dutch uh, heard that i can speak a little bit of dutch everyone stopped using english with me which i appreciate it helped me learn dutch but yeah um, making jokes or you know i can speak what i can but understand is a different story <laughs> but then yeah dutch family dutch friends everything is unknown every time i meet new people i worry i'm extreme extrovert at least i have been back then after whatever birthday party i could cry whole evening uh even now many friends i will share this podcast they will be surprised they now make jokes that olena doesn't come often to the birthday parties and so I feel like an alien. Mm -hmm. It's just everyone is super kind, super fun, amazing people. Uh, like, seriously, they could not accommodate me any better. And yet I feel like an alien. I, I just don't, I don't know, I don't belong here. At least it feels so. It's mm -hmm. not my tribe. It's, uh, you know, now we plan to go to Ukraine with my sister and I'm waiting so much. It's, I Literally, I printed calendar and I'm crossing the dates. You know, it's just 18 days and four hours. And I really wait for it because these people, I don't know, of course, there are 
kind and asshole people everywhere, but it's my tribe. Uh, you are with people where you don't have to explain yourself, where you don't have to ask anything. You just look to one another and you scan the whole DNA, the whole centuries before. It's just such a privilege to live with your people, to go through everything together, the tough times and the fun times. And here it's it's all great, but it's not mine. Even childhood, you know, when we talk about childhood, I can laugh for ages with my Ukrainian friends, but I have nothing in common with Dutch. Like seriously, Leon, my husband, he has, I don't know, 16 photo albums of him being small. My first picture, I'm already five. <laughs> That's a little bit the story. <laughs> I must say, yeah, you know, I called a photograph to make a picture and all my friends have the same situation. I don't have to explain it. But for them, it's like I'm telling something, I don't know, extremely, like we were super poor or something. We were not. Everyone was. Maybe we were in comparison with them, but everyone was living this life. You know, I remember this bread, putting it a little bit in the water and then in a, in a sugar. Mm. And that was the best bread ever. Seriously. He's yeah. telling me about whatever sneakers when he was five. What? I got my Barbie. I was 13. I was playing till 16 with my Barbie. Still proud on it. And now my my daughter, she's five. She has, I think, twenty of those Barbies. It's a different, it's a different, um, different tribe. I call it tribes, and it was very difficult for me to assimilate. I feel like I'm assimilated now, but I still often feel like I'm faking it, even though I'm very open person and I do everything from heart. But yeah, you should not come exhausted after a mm-hmm. day or evening with your friends. Mm-hmm. When I'm with my friends, I come inspired for the next mm-hmm. half year. We meet now often once in a few years if we are lucky. Like I didn't see my best friend, Anton, since I saw only one of his children and he has three now. <laughs> you know, it's, um, and yet we don't, the connection is still there. You know, we can meet in a few years. We, we all understand that we have our life now. And at some point we will catch up. We're here. I feel like I can meet every day. I still cannot. I don't know. I still don't belong. It's a different, I don't know. It's a different API call. It just doesn't fit. <laughs> so that was uh, me in the Netherlands. Coming Thank you here. for being so open and sharing this. I can identify with many of the things you said. I even feel guilty for saying it, to be honest. I already think I will share it. And my Dutch friends will hear it. Uh, they will not like it. But yeah, immigration is not fun. Not always fun. Mm-hmm. And you also became a mother in the Netherlands. And before we speak about this, uh, I want to read the poem by Nairan White. My mother was my first country, the first place I ever lived. Yes. I always just to make very clear my purpose of life since I was, I don't know, five, was to have family and kids. <laughs> Somehow I have a sister. She we have three years different. I'm older, and she is I don't know. She's not my best friend. She's like a soulmate. We uh, lived in one room. Parents, when we were I don't know whatever age, they gave us two different rooms. We lived in three bedrooms apartment, and they gave us separate rooms. But we stayed there maybe for three days, and I like, no, hmm. and we moved back together, and we lived till my 26 in one room. Um, so I always wanted kids. I always envisioned myself with this uh, kind and caring man, having two daughters, uh, you know, like seriously, I felt like incomplete not having a family. And my parents, they are super happy. You know, I don't know, they are married, what now? 40 years almost. My dad is still bringing once a week flowers to mom. I was like, oh, look at them. <laughs> Mistakes are high. Exactly. I'm like, please, did you see flowers that my father brought to my mom? <laughs> but yeah, he's Dutch again. <laughs> a different, different level. <laughs> he brings uh, groceries and he thinks it's okay. <laughs> he can <laughs> buy some flowers if there is a discount, but no discount. It's a waste of money, you know. <laughs> so Dutch have different fly uh, wings, but it's okay. As I said, I am integrated. <laughs> but yeah, so... We got pregnant. We got married in July. And then very fast, I think in August or September, we already knew that we are expecting a baby. I was super happy, like obviously. Uh, and then it was a girl. I was flying. 
but uh, pregnancy was amazing but i gained like 30 something kilos during pregnancy i barely could walk <laughs> when i was already eight months and i was eating a lot i will be honest i wanted to be pregnant you know i wanted to be pregnant and then first half year you don't see a bailey even and i was already an am chubby chubby person so i wanted this bailey to pop up faster so i <laughs> ate even more <laughs> it was really but okay and then she was born and i remember i was crying she was two days old and i was crying looking at her and said why did i why did we wait for so long you know we are already so she was born in 2018 uh, and we were together from 2012 you know it's like five what six years we were already together like we could have her before we missed all this amazing time together but yeah adrenaline was gone a week later <laughs> and then the whole motherhood uh, story started i um uh, didn't have enough uh, breast uh, milk and somehow something clicked in my head i don't wanna and i don't think that uh, there is anyone to blame uh, but yeah i'm ukrainian and for ukrainian culture is very important uh, to feed your baby uh, like when you're pregnant you, there is the whole diet you are not allowed to eat or drink a lot where in the netherlands you want coffee you drink coffee you want wine one glass of wine cannot harm any baby in ukraine like seriously you don't eat baked you like it's <laughs> basically salad and book uh, and uh, bookweed only um i had mastitis few times it's a horrible experience i would better have another delivery few times mm-hmm. you have fever 42 mm-hmm. Dutch healthcare doesn't deserve even any comment. I called the uh, GP. He said, yeah, okay, 42, can you come tomorrow? And I'm shaking. It's painful. I'm shaking. I have a baby. Leon is at work. I'm alone at home. Baby was all the time crying. She was all the time crying, like 24-7. She didn't sleep longer than 40 minutes at once. On a daytime, she slept only once for 15 minutes. Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how I survived. And now, when I look at these pictures, I'm always smiling uh, with my baby who sleeps. That was the only moments when I could take uh, those pictures. I remember I was ironing pillows, ironing pillows, so that wo- this warmth of the iron pillow would make it easier for her stomach or something. Uh, it was horrible. But yeah, I didn't give up on breastfeeding, and then um, uh, I still continued with breastfeeding. So she wasn't mixed. I gave formula because she was all the time hungry, and I still had four pumping machines like from huge to tiny Um, but because I was so also I don't know demanding to myself Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to prove something to someone really weird decision to be honest Uh, but yeah Dutch maternity leave is three months and then from three months you have to go to work in Ukraine usually women stay up to three years with their kids Ukraine is very difficult difficult different culture Men earn usually more and you can live life on one salary. Where in the Netherlands, having mortgage, uh, it's difficult to survive on one salary. But somehow I decided that I'm strong and uh, very bad use of this word in this particular situation. Feminist, that I'm you know not dependent on anyone. I went directly for five days working. And I remember I was just two days back to the office and the manager asked, you know what, we have new hires. I got promotion, changed uh, department while being pregnant. So I was not in the call center anymore, went to marketing department. Do you want to give a, a presentation to new hires, 70 people? 72, I remember as now. I was like, yes, sure. Why would I say no? And then... I went pumping because I, you know, it's like every drop of milk is like a precious gold. Uh, and then I went to this presentation and I had this milk uh, drop uh, on my shirt. I put a shawl. Uh, what's the English word? You see, now I have a trouble not speaking Dutch or English. I have a scarf. Scarf, yes. So I put this scarf to cover it up. I finished presentation. And went again, cry. Honestly, if I if I would have so much milk as I had tears back then, it would be mm-hmm. enough to feed my baby. But yeah, I didn't stop presentation. I did, and I was like, you know, like I don't have enough milk to feed my baby, but I have it enough <laughs> to leak during the presentation. How fair is this? Um, was tough. I didn't sleep. I didn't. I felt I brought her to daycare and I was crying in the morning. 
I was crying in the office because I was breastfeeding and it feels like a cow. Um, and then my mom came uh, to support me. She was already, I think, one and a half months maybe. And I decided to open up that I have these weird thoughts. Uh, I was waiting so much to become a mom and it became not, it didn't give me wings. It cut my wings. I remember I was crying. Uh, I even feel guilty to share it, but maybe I hope it will help someone. I felt like my life is over. That's it. Uh, all my travels, all my excitements, all these high emotions, this is it. Forever crying. Uh, my body, I, I remember, um, I don't know, this bag instead of my belly, <laughs> this hanging, whatever it is. <laughs> didn't go away even now she's now five years pain <laughs> it was it, it was uh, weird and also relationship with leon he stayed himself i remember he came from work um i was like yeah okay dinner and then sophia started to cry and i directly obviously went uh to her to hold her you know to somehow comfort her and he sat on a table to have a dinner and i said why are you eating he's like yeah but it will become cold. She's still crying. You are holding her or she's in her bed. It doesn't matter. Oh my God. I thought it was, it's the end of us. He doesn't have any connection with our child. He doesn't care. All he cares is his dinner. <laughs> and then at some point, mom came. My parents, they stayed the longest at that time. They stayed three weeks. I thought, oh my God, so long. They now live lived by us one year because of the poor. And I shared with my mom and I said, you know, mom, I think uh, I feel uh, bad uh, and I'm so anxious all the time and I'm crying and I'm angry. And I, I just, I, I just, uh, not that I feel not happy. I feel very much unhappy. I feel like I don't matter. And I literally think that I better die. I don't want it anymore. And my mom, <laughs> my mom, she's an amazing mother. I'm grateful to have her. And she said, you know what? You have a great life. You have a dishwasher. You have a washing machine and a dryer and a vacuum cleaner who are all doing the job. So when I had you, I was 22. We were renting a room in apartment. I had to work to study to wash all the bed sheets. I didn't have diapers. I only had two pairs uh, of these sheets, not even uh, like pants or something. And in the winter, I had to iron it so it would not be wet. Uh, so I think you are just exaggerating and you are now giving this, uh, formula and you are shouting at me because, you know, I had these different bottles with different shape of whatever um, bottle so that it would be like in a shape of your breasts. Seriously, I had like 20 of them. And I said, you have, you spend money, you have money to spend on all of this. When you were small, I also didn't have milk. So what I did, I, when I was when I had to do all this household to work and everything, I put a pillow to hold the bottle for you. And when I heard you crying, that meant that the pillow fell. So no, I didn't have a depression. And I think you also don't have. You just have too much time to think how you feel. I literally felt like a bucket of cold water on me. I would never open up to anyone else except her. And my sister, she lived in Vietnam back then. The time zone difference was like eight hours. We barely could talk in real time to one another. I didn't want to bother her. I didn't want to make anyone worry for me. And then this child, I all the time, I remember I constantly was talking to her, talking Ukrainian. And then I was, since the baby, two months old, and I'm really paying attention. Does she understand better Ukrainian or Dutch? It was so important for me that my baby understands that she is as much Ukrainian as Dutch. <laughs> Honestly, if I think about myself back then, I'm like, okay, Olena, you really had to call for medical support. But I didn't. And then at some point, I think Sophia was maybe three months, three, four months. Leon came home and I also prepared everything. When Leon is away, I'm crying. I'm arranging everything at home. And when he comes, dinner is ready. Happy wife, you know, baby here, all good. And then once he came earlier and I was sitting in tears in all these diapers, crying baby. And I was like, you know what? I think it's over between us. I want to, I, I already uh, requested a Ukrainian passport for Sophia and I go home. It's done. 
I don't like it here. And I think whatever has been between us is over. And he was he was so shocked. I was shocked that he was shocked because to me, it was all obvious. How don't you see? I'm really drowning here. And he said, you know what? I spoke to my friend who had a child a year earlier. And he said, yeah, you have a postpartum depression. So he advised just to leave you alone for at least a year, give you room. And then when a baby will be one year, it will be over. I said, yeah. Yeah, in a year, it would definitely be over. Everything, whatever is now here in this house would be over. <laughs> and then he took, I don't remember, a few weeks uh, off. And he was all the time with us. And he was uh, very, like every moment he was with me. Like, how are you? How are you? He was, he he became, he returned some feathers to my wings. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> I didn't expect that the man can be so much supportive. He's very kind. And that was uh, tough times. And then I took. Uh, at least one day off, I started working less. Uh, and then Sophia grew. She started to sleep through the nights when she was three and a half. Oh, my God. This was not easy. But then once I started to feel uh, better, I got pregnant again. Sophia was one and a half and I was in tears. I said, okay, I go home. For any trouble, I go home. I feel like on that land, my troubles just disappear by themselves. Like I go home, I make abortion. I don't want it again. And then Leon again was like talking to me, begging literally and asking, he said, we wanted a second child. I said, yeah, we wanted it in three years again because my sister and I have three years difference. I said, yeah, three years difference, not two. And he was like, yeah, how does it matter this year or next year? That's why, you know, abortion is, there is, there is a child, our child in you. And uh, he or she decided to come a little earlier. It's not for us to decide. And it took him a few days. And nine months later, our son was born, left. <laughs> and he was like literally amazing. Breastfeeding went well. I breastfeed him till 10 months and then I decided to stop because yeah I was literally attached all the time and he became big teeth started to grow and I felt that this was a blessing if he would be born first I think that Sophia would be born nine months later <laughs> if I could swap them it was an amazing experience Sophia was okay caring uh, sister and I was seriously I felt like I have not one but hundreds of pairs of those wings who are flying me around Vesp, where we live and where I walked every street with them too. It was amazing. I stayed also longer and I also profit from Corona. Uh, back then we started to work from home, so I didn't have to pump. Uh, he was there with me. My parents got stuck by us. They were visiting us in March. And then, uh, yeah, the flights were canceled, so they couldn't leave. Uh, and then Papa came here. I asked him and he came. So he went to daycare when he was all, almost one year old. So I didn't feel guilty for, you know, not seeing how my baby turns from back to the Bailey for the first time. It was an amazing period. And now they are big. Um, and now I fall again in this uh, postpartum memories, maybe. You know, the, the last year war started and I kept strong until the uh, liberation of Kyiv region. When I saw all the, I even don't, not capable to choose the right words, um, murdering and torturing. And then I saw, again, just to, to make clear, uh, we all, there is no single person in Ukraine who doesn't speak Russian. Uh, I remember 2014 when war started in Crimea, my father my father was crying. I saw him crying only once when his brother passed away. And he said, how can we fight? We speak the same language. And then now, uh, these people who come, they speak the same language. And I still, uh, like, you know, like the, the first shock and pain was that the war started, that this can happen, that, uh, this, that you are not protected. Basically, if rocket can hit Kiev, it can hit Amsterdam the feeling of security is gone. And then the second was that people didn't protest. Those people with whom I share the same childhood memories, you know, we watch the same cartoons, 
I have much more in common with them than with Dutch. Uh, I know so many Russians. Uh, some of them lived in my apartment uh, when it was Euro 2012. Um, they didn't protest. And I think that this hit mentally many Ukrainians even harder than, than, than the full scale itself. Country of 140 million people and 10,000 protesters. If Ukraine would attack Moldova tomorrow, 20 million, half of population, like whoever government would be, it would be down. And they didn't. Uh, so I personally was maybe looking, hoping for some uh, good and kind human titled Russians. And then when Kyiv was liberated, I was looking uh, consciously for all the pictures. Uh, on the first day, they were not blurred. I regret big time doing that, but I wanted to know, I wanted to become angry. I wanted to grow this hate in me. I wanted to let this hate uh, come into my heart, my soul. I didn't want to be able to forgive. And this was end of March, so it's already one and a half months. Um, and I found many pictures, and one of them was a pile of uh, people in uh, Bucha, uh, and it was very visible uh, family. So there were grandparents, they were half naked, grandparents, and on top of them, parents, young people, and it was like a mountain. And on top was laying a girl, maybe three, four years old, uh, completely naked. She was raped. You could see her vagina was completely damaged. Her hands were tied behind with a white uh, rope, not like white sheet. And uh, it is known that the civilian people were obliged to wear white uh, sheet on their arms. Uh, and she had this white sheet in her mouth. And this girl looked very much like my Sophia. I can now talk about it because I took uh, almost a year of uh, psychotherapy, uh, different approaches, uh, uh, but I still... So they shut her mouth because she was talking the language they could understand. She was begging and crying, and they just shut her mouth. Um, and all my feelings, uh, when Sophia was just born, you know, all this, that it's a endless, enormous weight of responsibility. You know, you make a choice. As I said, every day you make a choice. But when the child is born, you make a choice for someone else. I choose what she wears. I choose what she eats. I choose which school she goes. I choose, you know, I choose. And all this responsibility again came to me and I felt, uh, if this happens, I, ju I just cannot protect her. Uh, so this was uh, beginning of April. And then in May, Sophia turned five and she went to school. And uh, the Netherlands, they go to school when they turn, uh, not five, four. In the daycare, I know, uh, I know this um, teachers or uh, babysitters. But at school, not. And Dutch are very, I, I like their approach. They are very chill and cool. So you are allowed to come into the class on the first three times. And then you have to leave your child by the door and she comes to her class. And she, Sophia is a very sensitive, uh, very sensitive little girl. And she was crying every day. And uh, I tried to forget this picture. I I couldn't sleep. I, uh, I think I slept like maybe one hour. Um and then uh, once she came from school and I checked if no one raped her. And then I thought, okay, I have to ask for help. I thought I will not be crying. She just has so many tears already about it. Uh, and now it's uh, 497 days of war. And every time I read news about killed people, about killed children, I read if mama died with them. And if she did, I'm happy for her. And like yesterday, there was another shelling. And 21 people was killed. And there was a story about a boy. He's four years old. 
and he was on the play yard with his father. They both died, and mom was at home. And I think she is probably not willing to leave. And then when I went to a psychologist, she said, you know what? You probably are still in your postpartum, but you are a person of uh, deny. You are like a fast train. You go on your rails. You came to the Netherlands. It's tough, but you go on full speed and you think you pass it. Then you get a child that's tough for you, but you go full speed and you think you pass it. <sighs> but at some point you have to slow down and uh, and go through it. And maybe then you can... I don't know. <laughs> I tried. But in the end, uh, it was a Dutch uh, psychologist. And I stopped because I had to explain too much. Mm. And I don't want to explain. I don't. I just... I just don't want to explain. I, uh, I cannot stand Dutch news where they say or they ask theoretical, philosophical questions. How good Russians feel. I uh, cannot stand one man's war. Not one man. He didn't rape that girl. He didn't shut her mouth, didn't tie his, her hands behind. So that's why I'm waiting when in 18 days I go to Ukraine and I don't have to explain anything. It's a, it's a war of civilizations, of values, of wings and mother. So this is me, <laughs> still immigrant, apparently still in a postpartum. Uh, happy to read the news when a mother dies with her child. The child is cute. And then you come to work and people, hi, how are you? And you could say, I'm okay, thank you. And you move on. Because it's your own content. We all have our own content. And if you don't mind, I will close our conversation with another poem. Yes. Of uh, Lesia Ukrainka. Ni doli, ni voli u mene nema. Zasталась tilki nadia odna. Nadia vernuti ще раз na vkrajinu, poglянuti ще раз na rydnu krajinu, poglянuti ще раз na syni Dnipro. Tam žiti či vmerti. Ani vsodla. Neither fate nor will I have, only one hope is left. Neither fate nor will I have, only one hope is left. Only one hope is left, hope to return one more time to Ukraine, to see one more time my dear land. Hope to return one more time to Ukraine, to see one more time my dear land, to see one more time my dear land. The blue Dnipro, one more time to see, to live there or die, the same to me. By Lesia Ukrainka. Thank you so much, Olena, for sharing so many things. Um, we had decided from the beginning that we give you the lead. You share as much as you want. You, you say what you want. You were so honest. Um, of course, I cannot identify or feel everything that, that you're going through, but this feeling of being always in transition, of not belonging, the things you shared about motherhood. Um, many of us, we fight these battles on our own and we don't speak about them. And I sometimes say, what you say, you go to the office and people say, how are you? And you say, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I wish that there would be more space for vulnerability in, in our society. There would be more community. There would be more room for crying, for sharing emotions, for sharing pain, for also sharing this the, the difficult side of becoming a mother. That I think there is some change. We talk more about it, but we don't talk enough about it. And um, I just wish that there will be more room for that, you know. There will be more room for uncomfortable conversations. There will be more room for empathy, for compassion, for love, for for community, and less explaining. And sometimes it's just listen. Just listen, you know. You don't always have to say something or have an opinion. Just listen and, and yeah, listen. Exactly. To be open um, and not. I thank you very, very much. Um, I thank you uh, for creating this atmosphere. But I could 
share and be open and to go as deep as I even didn't expect to go uh, while being recorded. Thank you for that. I even Thank through you. the screen feel feel your empathy and compassion. Thank you for that. Thank you. We still um, we discussed this and you're fine with it. Um, I always give the space, of course, for, for my guests to also ask me a question. So um, now you you can ask me your question or even questions. I have two actually because you now mentioned questions. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't choose one. <laughs> I thought I would choose the last moment, but now I have this opportunity. I know that you also lived in uh, multiple countries. How do you manage to be the citizen of the world? How do you manage uh, this belonging or managing being in diverse uh, cultures and still being yourself? And a second one, I know you have kids. How was your uh, first baby? Because I say first, but you know, once my friend Anton, I talk a lot about him, When I asked him, he said, going from zero to one is more difficult than from one to two or from two to three. You already know what it will be. But how was your experience? I will start with your second question and then I will go to, to the first one. So I first became a mom. Uh, my, my first encounter as being a mom was being a bonus mom. So my partner has a has a son. Um, he doesn't call me mom, but... We say that I'm his bonus mom. We have a very, very good relationship. And I always say I have four children. Of course, I always make sure that I honor his biological mom. So um, so that was my first encounter with with being a mom. And of course, it's different because you are still a little bit like this kind of friend. And, you know, a kid comes over and you have fun and, and these kind of things. Um, that was my first encounter. And I remember when I was pregnant with um, our first son, let's say, my mom took me for a walk and she says, Stella, you always choose the difficult road since you came to this world, even the way you came to the world. Now you're going to have your own kid, let's say, with, with your partner. And I don't want you to forget the other kid because the other child is also your child. But you will see once you have your kid with your partner, things might change. Always be aware of that and always try to fight for both of the kids and to create unity and, and, and belonging and don't distinguish the other child. I'm very grateful that my mom had this conversation with me because it's difficult to be a bonus mom, especially when other kids come into the picture. It is a challenge. And I think it's also something we don't talk enough about. And it's also this portrayal of the stepmom or bonus mom or whatever you want to use in the fairy tales and so on and so forth. And it's difficult to be a stepmother. You have It's already difficult to be a mom, right? Or to be a mm -hmm. parent. And then you yeah. have a bonus child and then you have uh, another child or many children <laughs> full time. So it's a lot of work. So when my our first son was born... I encountered motherhood in a very unexpected way. Um, I had a good pregnancy and suddenly my son was born at 25 weeks and one day, 820 grams. Um, I was told while birthing him that he might die. And if he doesn't die, he might be blind. He might be this, he might be that, he might be whatever. So he was born already sick with an infection. Um, we spent three months in the hospital. Uh, he made it. We were told that several times he wouldn't make it, that he would die. He had two surgeries. He had a stoma. Anyway, many different things. He made it. So uh, he's he's with us. And then after six months, um, like what your uh, therapist told you, I was pregnant again. And uh, the people in the hospital thought I'm completely nuts. They were like, are you for real? I mean, they didn't say it like this, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Dutch people are very direct, maybe for those of you who don't know that, but they kind of implied that maybe I should have had an abortion because I just went through a very difficult time and I'm pregnant again. Like anyway, um, he was born almost four kilos. Uh, I had like a five-star treatment by the hospital. Every little thing was checked. So then he was born. And um, I have to say that, of course, I can talk now forever, but 
I don't want to know because anyway, then we will be sitting here forever. It's tough to become a parent. It's tough to to become a mom. Uh, it's tough to become a parent also in a country that you are a foreigner. Um, you don't speak the language well. Um, yes, you're far from from your community. And um, I started really building a community here in the Netherlands. I mean, I'm not there, but um, an amazing community. I have so many wonderful people in the Netherlands. It's incredible. After our, um, like after our third son was born, let's say, or our second son was born. But it was tough. It's also tough on, on a relationship to become a mom, um, to become a father. You have to renegotiate your roles. And I just wish at that time that more people would would have talked about it, be more open about it, about the challenges. It's not just, yeah, well, you're pregnant. Yay. You know, no. it, of course it's, it's fun and it's nice. And I'm happy to be a mom, but there, there's a lot more other stuff that goes into it. And that's also one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Um, and then in 2019, our daughter was born. And um, I, I, this is something that you shared many personal things. And because of what you said, I will share this too. My daughter, her, her, the pregnancy with her uh, changed my life completely. I quit my job. Uh, I started sold. I went back to university. I did a master's in gender studies. I mean, many things. Wow. Uh, I had an incredible birth with her. I went into the birthing room like, you're not going to mess with me. I'm going to birth her my way and you're not going to tell me nothing. And that's it. And um, when she was born, though, I remembered many of, of the things that, that I went through. Uh, not nice things, not nice memories. And um, I remember the first two weeks, I, I couldn't look uh, at her vulva. I couldn't look at her vagina. I couldn't clean her. I So many bad things came into my mind. And um, also the, the story that you shared it touched me a lot because so many bad images came to me. So, so I had really difficulty cleaning her, looking at her, uh, at her vulva. It, it was really tough. And... Um, yeah, but it was part of this, you know, of, of, of yeah, what happens to women, what some yeah. of us go through. Uh, and especially in war, of course, women become, as in many other occasions too, they become a commodity. They're the ones that are getting hurt and utilized and raped and killed. And yeah. yeah. So I had these thoughts, you know, in, in the beginning. Of course, I don't have them anymore, but um it's like I wish I can be to my daughter the person that I needed when I was young, you know, and this is really what I'm trying to do. And um, so motherhood is so complex, you know, I think we can be, can talk about it forever. But these are some of the things that I, that I would like to share. And um, I'm really happy about all our four kids and, and what we are building. It's a lot of work, um, a lot, you know, that it's a lot of work. And yet um, we are here with yes. your podcast. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes. Now yes. hearing your story, it it's even more. Yeah. Yeah. We all have our stories, you know. And um, yeah. So that's a little bit my encounter with motherhood. And then you asked me another question about the. Um, yeah, that's another. It's a very personal thing for me. That's why I I feel so many of the things that you said. I was born in Germany um, as a child with a migrant background, as we are called, and it was somehow always in the foreground. Um, so it was tough. It was tough. Um, so I feel what you say, that this, this sense of, of not belonging, you know, um, it, it, it's tough. It's tough. It does something to you. It hurts you. Many of the things that you shared, uh, I had to think about my mom. Um being a foreigner in a country that was so, so foreign to her. And I know that it gave her so much pain. And I know if we had stayed in Greece, she would have been also different as a mom. So this is another big topic for me. I maybe now we, we can stop here, but um, it has been, it has been a journey. I didn't feel the way I feel now. I'm more willful about things now. I don't deal with certain crap anymore. Um, and uh, I have to say, um, I integrate in the way I want to integrate. And that's it. You know, that's it. I am Stop. who I am. And I'm many things. And we're all many things. And um, yeah, and that's it. We're all different. And we don't need to, to be the same, you know. We should be just more 
understanding, more compassionate, more together. Listen, 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 listen. I always say listen. Just listen. And Just uh, yeah. And this, this feeling sometimes of superiority, the uncivilized nations, the civilized nations, the uncivilized foreigners, the civilized foreigners. I'm tired of it, you know. Yeah. So and what um, is civilized in the end? Exactly. So that has been a big journey as well. And maybe it's another reason why I've started Soul. So you really ask two very, very, very like uh, good, personal, big, deep questions today. And um, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. I'm really uh, grateful for you for having this podcast, for having me on this podcast, for having this podcast in this atmosphere. And this this is not just open door. I feel like it's just a field where I can say all I feel and you will hear. Thank you also for sharing your story. Now, you know, I thought so much to tell. And one of them was this feeling of guilt. You know, that I'm not in my country, I'm not fighting, I am not the best mom, I'm so many. Um, and now you shared how your firstborn kid was uh, born and what you had to go through. And I think, oh my God, how do I dare to have my postpartum? It's this comparison, which we should not even have, no. you know, everyone goes through no. through own journey. Um, and it's a blessing that we can share, we can talk, and we can smile together. And um, really smile, on. cry, be smile, angry. Exactly. All of it is valid. All of it. Exactly. All of it. The whole my Sophia says always a rainbow. Mama, I'm today the dark rainbow. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Elena. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please treat it with care, with love. Share it in your communities. And. Um, Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Salieri and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.